Good morning. Thank you all for getting the memo that we only have one service on the, in J the month of July at 11 o'clock. You got that memo when you are here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we are starting a brand new sermon series today called Flipped, which we will, it will take us from now until Labor Day, except for next week. And next week, my friends David and Tabita Gonzalez are going to be with us. David and Tabita were on staff with me in, in Lenexa. They are missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene serving in South America. Uh, they have some great stories and are great servants of the Lord. David was the general NYI president for the entire denomination for a while, for four years. But now he's serving as a missionary and his wife, Tabita. And they, you will really, really like to hear them next week. But today, we're starting this series that's really based on, on the Beatitudes of Jesus, as you just heard. And we're calling it Flipped. And the reason we're calling it flipped is that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and in this preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it's the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus flips the way we normally think about things. He changes the apple cart. He upsets the apple cart. He moves things around from the way we generally perceive reality. And the things that we think are, are, are trouble, Jesus seems to think are not so troublesome. The things that we think are virtuous... He flips over and thinks sometimes that those are not so virtuous. And we're going to see that over the course of the next several weeks as we get into this flip series. The passage, the Beatitudes, is found, which you heard um, from, from the sermon bumper. Thank you, Jordan. Another great sermon bumper. Um, is from Matthew chapter 5. It begins in verse 3, and Jesus says, Blessed. Which again are big signs up on the on the board. Thank you, Debla Victor. She's the one who put that together with a bunch of help. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Blessed is the way he begins. And let me stop right there before I get very far. Sometimes blessed is translated happy. Happy are the meek, happy are the are, are the, the poor in spirit, happy are the pure in heart, happy, happy. But happy really is a poor translation for that word. Happiness is an emotion that's based on an, out, on outward circumstance. British soccer fans today, which means everybody in England, is happy because they beat Sweden yesterday in the World Cup. When Michigan beats Ohio State, I am happy. Happy, happy, happy. Yes, you should all be happy at that. When Carla makes me chocolate chip cookies like she did this week, I am happy, 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 happy. When I go to Donna's on Sunday morning, and like today, don't tell Carla this, today they gave me, they gave me two donuts. They gave me an extra donut just because last week they didn't have my favorite kind, and they know my favorite kind. And so today they had my favorite kind, and they gave me two. So I'm happy. I am so happy. But that's just uh, happiness based on an outward circumstance. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience God's blessing deep down in the innermost part of your being. I want you to be blessed. Blessed isn't, isn't a, a contingent on an outward circumstance. Blessed is something where God does something deep, deep, deep within you, an inner joy. Blessed, that's what Jesus is saying. So let me read again for us those Beatitudes that you already heard, but let's read it just this week at least one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the, the earth. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they way they persecuted the prophets who were before you do you see why i've 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 called this series flipped we normally wouldn't think the poor in spirit are blessed we wouldn't think that a person who is mourning a person who is experiencing deep grief a person who is 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 in the midst of walking that lonely journey by themselves is blessed we wouldn't think if you were persecuted if someone insulted you if they if they harmed you that you would be called blessed in fact, we think just the opposite. No, you're cursed. You need a blessing. If you, if you are walking through that deep valley of, of grief, you need to be blessed. If you are poor in spirit, you need to be blessed. If you are persecuted, you need to be blessed, we would say. But Jesus flips that and says, no, 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 you're already blessed. Now remember, again, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus frequently, not just in the Beatitudes, will flip our thinking It's in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, love your enemies. We say, no, wait a minute. I'm supposed to hate my enemies. They're my enemies. I hate them. He says, no, love your enemies. Pray for them. And Jesus is going to say that. And this, this, our society goes so against what Jesus is preaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. Our society says, happy are the tough and strong, not the meek. For they don't let life hurt them. Happy are those who complain, not who show mercy. Because they don't get walked over. Happy is the squeaky wheel. That's who gets the grease. For they get their way in the end. Happy are the unmoved, the unconcerned, the blasé. For they never have to worry about their, their, their sins. Happy are the slave drivers because they get results. Happy are the troublemakers because people notice them. Happy are the blowhards because they get their way. But, but Jesus is offering us a different way, a better way. It's not easier. Don't, take, don't, don't hear easier when I say better. But Jesus offers us a better way. Our key word for this whole series really are these words that are up on this back wall, blessed. Jesus is flipping the way we think and saying blessed, that deep down inner peace, joy, blessing. He flips the way we commonly think about normal things. I, I think that truth came true to me this week. I read a story about a young man named Kevin. Kevin was a very poor student. In fact, he had some learning disabilities. And he was an even worse basketball player. But he went out for the high school basketball team. And he was the worst one at the tryouts, and he was a terrible basketball player. But, but Kevin was a likable kid, and he worked hard, and he tried his best. And, and so the coach put him on the team, even though he was terrible. Now, the team was terrible, too. In fact, even when the five starters were in, the team, the team lost every game. Well, they lost every game except one for the whole season, and the only game they won is when there was a snowstorm and the other team didn't show up. That was their team. They were terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And, and Kevin, of course, was, was the worst one of the whole team. Well, it came down to their last game. It was the conference tournament and, and they were playing the first place team because they were the last place team. And the first place team was undefeated. The first place team was tall and strong and great and, and undefeated. And, and they were having to play them for the last, it would be their last game. Now you would expect, you're hoping 
that this is kind of like a Hoosiers type of story where, where somehow Kevin takes on the LeBron James personality and the coach puts them in and he like makes shot after shot after shot. That didn't happen. You know, no one threw him up on the shoulders at the end of the game and, and carted him out. That didn't happen. In fact, in the fourth quarter, the team was in their familiar position. They were 30 points behind. And Kevin was in his familiar position. He was sitting on the end of the bench. Probably not going to get in the game. And one of Kevin's teammates called timeout, and he went over to the coach. There was only a few, few minutes left in the game. And, and he said, Coach, the coach was wondering, why, why call timeout? We're down 30 points. We're not coming back. And the kid went up to, to the coach and said, Coach, it's our last game. We're down by 30. Kevin hasn't scored a point all season long. What do you think if we put Kevin in and let him score a point? Well, the coach, you know, they're going to lose anyway. There's no chance for them to win. So why not? Kevin had worked hard. He'd only gotten into a few games, even as it was. He had never scored a point all season. And so they put in Kevin, and the rules were, he told the rest of the team, every time we've got the ball, give the ball to Kevin. So that was the plan. They put Kevin in. They got the ball. He took a shot. He missed, of course. Number 17 from the other team grabbed the rebound, ran all the way down the court, scored two points. The team came back down. They tossed the ball to Kevin. Kevin dutifully put up a shot again. It bounced around, missed. They went down, scored again. This happened a few times, and pretty soon, number 17 on the other team started to get wise to what was going on. And so Kevin missed a shot, number 17 grabbed the rebound, and instead of running down the court and scoring again, he threw the ball to Kevin too. And Kevin took a shot, and he missed. And pretty soon, both teams were surrounding Kevin, cheering for Kevin. It took the crowd a little bit longer, but pretty soon they figured out what was going on, and they, Kevin would take a shot, he'd miss, they'd throw it back to Kevin, he'd take a shot, they'd miss. Pretty soon the whole crowd is chanting, Kevin, 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 Kevin. The coach realized, wait a minute, this game should have been over. He looked up at the clock and it was stopped. The clock had stopped at six seconds left. He looked over at the scores table. The referees were all chanting and clapping as well. Everyone was clapping. It's like the world stood still as Kevin was trying to make a shot. And finally, oh so finally... Kevin finally put one in. And when it went in, he shot his arms up in the air. And he said, I won, I won, I won. Now the game, that they, they started the clock over and the game was finished. And the, and the championship team, the, the first place team, they were still the first place team. And Kevin's team was still the last place team and they lost every game. But I contend that everybody went home a winner that night. And that's what the Beatitudes are saying, you see. See, Jesus flips it, and, and winners don't always look like winners. And winners aren't always the ones that have an entourage, and winners aren't always the ones that, 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 that get the accolades, and winners aren't always the ones that, like LeBron James, write out a, or sign a $154 million contract. Those aren't always the winners, not according to Jesus. That sometimes winners don't look like winners in his kingdom. And sometimes those that we say are losers aren't losers. Our country loves winners. We have, we have you know, award ceremonies, Emmys and, and Tonys and the Oscars. This week it's the ESPYs that's on TV. 
for, for the sports accomplishments for the, for, the, for the year. We have Hall of Fames all over. We have Hall of Fames for everything. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there's a Hall of Fame for robots. I don't know if other robots are supposed to go, but there's a Hall of Fame for robots. In Marion, Indiana, there's a, the Quilters Hall of Fame is in Marion, Indiana. My grandma should be in that Hall of Fame, but I don't think she is. We love, we love Hall of Fames. We love award ceremonies. And Jesus in this passage is really giving out, I suppose you could say, what he considers the, the award ceremony. Who are the, the, the winners? Who are the ones that, that receive special accommodation? Who are those that are, our key word, blessed? Again, he flips our thinking. It's not the ones with the million-dollar contracts that were the Hall of Fame credentials. It's the ones that are blessed by God. Let me ask you, what, what would you rather have, a million dollars or knowing that you are blessed by God Almighty? All the fame the world can offer or being blessed by God Almighty? You see, these verses, some of the most loved passages really in all the Bible, Jesus, again, is not simply saying, happy are you. No, he's saying you are blessed. You are blessed when God declares that you are a winner. You know, every one of us, we want to be a winner. The opposite is not very appealing. None of us want to be a loser. We don't want that at all. But even better is to being blessed by God himself. I've yet to meet a person who doesn't want to be blessed by God. We all want God to, to bless us. We all want God to approve of us. We all want God to, to, to you know, accept our choices maybe even when we're making poor choices we want god's blessing upon us and so jesus is giving us things then what these what these winners look like what these people who are blessed by god what they look like and we would expect we say all right who who has the credentials that would be blessed by god we would expect that it would be the the spiritual giants those people who have impeccable holiness and, and religious credentials. Maybe a religious who's who, that's who would be the, the special ones, who get the special commendation from Jesus. But Jesus doesn't mention those spiritual giants that can make it through any life situation, even, even dealing with death, with, with like, like, like it's nothing at all. In fact, he says just the opposite. Blessed are you when you, when you mourn. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. Blessed are you when you walk through that terrible valley of the shadow of death all on your own. Blessed are you when the thing that you've most cherished is now gone. Blessed are you. I don't feel very blessed, Lord. Blessed are you. You see, he flips our normal thinking. He flips the way we, we in our society constantly are told to think. And he flips that thought process. And he says, I'm not impressed by those who are self-sufficient. I'm not impressed by those that think I'm doing them a favor. They're doing me a favor by following me. That's not what impresses Jesus at all. Those that, that simply think they've got it all together. Who does Jesus say are blessed? Not the strong ones, the meek. Not the ones who have a, a, obtained some kind of level of righteousness. No, those who are still hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Not the mighty victors, but the merciful. Not the totally pure, but the pure in heart. The ones who might look like they're a little worn around the edges. Not those who've necessarily found peace in all of its fullness, but the ones who are trying to bring about peace, trying to make peace. 
And Jesus saves the last accommodation for the most crazy. And we'll get there on Labor Day weekend. When he says, those ones that are blessed are the ones that side with heaven, even when it looks like heaven is on the losing side. Even, even when, when, when nothing seems to be going right. Blessed are you, he said, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Jesus is saying those are the ones that are blessed. Those are the ones that are the, the real winners, the true winners in his estimation. You see, everything is flipped. So for today, we're at that first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being blessed, that deep down inner peace goes to the, the stalwarts, no, the poor in spirit. That deep down inner peace, the kingdom of heaven is theirs, goes to the poor in spirit. The big question, I suppose, for us is, well, what exactly is the poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let me explain that from the opposite. Let me give you a, 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 a biblical example of the opposite of the poor in spirit. And there's a guy that, that must have made an impression on Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because all three of those gospel writers tell his story. It's in Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, we see this guy. He's rich. I suppose uh, his shoes would be Italian, his... His, his suits would be tailor, his watch would be a Rolex, his money is invested, he probably rode the fanciest camel in town. He's young, he pumped iron at the gym, he probably ran like a gazelle, his belly was flat, his eyes were sharp, he was powerful, you don't think so, just ask him. He knew the answers to your questions, he knew exactly what was going on, he's smart, he's religious, he is the example of who we should try to be like, he is the rich, young ruler. And he comes to Jesus in Matthew 19. And this guy, who looks like he has everything together, comes up to Jesus, and his question is in verse 16, when he says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Remember what we just said? Remember the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this guy comes, Jesus, what do I have to do to get heaven? Notice the, the question itself, it re reveals a little bit about this guy about what he thinks is it takes. You see, he thinks he gets eternal life the way he's gotten everything else in this world. His resources, his strength, his ingenuity. Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Who do I write the check out to, Jesus? Just give me a figure, let me know. I'll tell my accountants, my lawyers will draw up the picture, the, the, the papers, and we'll get it to you. What do I gotta do, Jesus? Just give me the figure. And Jesus plays along for a minute. And, and what he tells them should make the guy stand back and say, whoa, wait a minute. But it doesn't seem to faze him all that much. Jesus says this, if you want to enter life, notice the guy says, I, what do I have to do for eternal life? Jesus drops eternal and says, if you want to enter life, eternal life begins right now, here and now, right today. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Now remember, the Pharisees had, had made uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments were kind of like the bottom floor, and they had added a bunch of more commandments on top of that, commandments upon commandments upon commandments, and Jesus just said, obey the commandments. And so you would think this guy would say, whoa, that's too much. I, who can, who can uh, obey every single one of the commandments? Are you kidding me? There's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Can't do that. 
But of course, he's very self-sufficient. And so in verse 18, he says, Which ones do you want me to keep? And Jesus, again, plays along. Well, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy thinks, Murder? No, I have, of course not. I haven't killed anybody. Adultery? Well, no more than what any red-blooded boy would do. Stealing? If you don't count the IRS, I guess I'm all right. False testimony? Well, let's skip that one. And he concludes by patting himself on the back and saying, Hey, I've done every one of these. I'm, I'm good. And he expects Jesus to say, There's a guy that you need to be like. Look at him. He's, he's doing every single commandment. He is rich. He's got it together. Look at him. Wow, what an example. But Jesus doesn't say that to the guy. In fact, Jesus knows he's done messing around, and he looks straight at him, and he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want eternal life, if you want the kingdom of heaven, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus gets right to the heart of it. If this would have been a cartoon, he would have done like kind of a Scooby-Doo, moving his head going, oh, type of thing. And the Bible tells us that he walks away sad because he had so much wealth. And the disciples are kind of shell-shocked too because, again, that society, that culture, if you were blessed, that meant that you were wealthy. You could tell who was blessed because they had it all together. They had, they had everything they could possibly want. Those were the blessed ones. It was easy to tell. It was easy to tell who wasn't blessed. Those were the beggars. Those were the poor people. Those were the folks that were the outcasts. It was easy to tell. So the disciples are scratching their heads and saying, wait a minute, Jesus. The blessed are the rich in spirit and rich in everything else. This guy had it all. In fact, he, he admitted he's keeping all of the commandments. Maybe he was stretching the truth a little bit, but at least he said that he's following all the commandments. And so the disciples say to Jesus, who, who then, if not this guy, who then can be saved? If this guy's in trouble, who, who can make it in Jesus? And in verse 26, Jesus gives the shocking answer. He said, with man... This is impossible. Let Jesus' answer just sit in with you for a minute. This is impossible, boys. He didn't say improbable. He, 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 didn't, he didn't say, say, it'll be tough, but you can do it. He didn't say it's unlikely, but, you know, if you really work at it. He said impossible. It is impossible. No chance. No loopholes. No secret passages. No mulligans. No do-overs. No special circumstances. No way. Impossible. It's impossible to swim the Pacific Ocean. It's impossible to, 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 to ride a glider to the moon. It's impossible for the Lions to win the Super Bowl. It's impossible. And <laughs> thank you for the amen over there. <laughs> I'm sure the lions appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus is saying it's impossible. Unless something happens, 
it's impossible. See, he's flipping our preconceived notions. We've been taught our whole life that we're rewarded based on our performance. Get good grades because you study hard. You become an accomplished musician because you practice, practice, practice. You make the basketball team because you shoot jump shot after jump shot after jump shot after jump shot. And the more that you work, then, then you can achieve. That's what we've all been taught. And that's why this rich young ruler thought that heaven was just a payment away. It makes sense. You work hard, you play by the rules, and you're in. But Jesus says, no, not so fast. If you want deep inner peace, blessed are key words. Money doesn't buy you blessed. Even if you're the rich young ruler, money doesn't buy you blessed. Fame doesn't buy you blessed. You know, you get to heaven, not because of a savings account, but because of a savior. And you get to heaven, not because of a resume, but because of a redeemer. And you get to heaven not because of a lifetime achievement award, but because of a Lord and Savior. Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But the good news, with God, all things are possible. Don't miss the message of Jesus. You can't save yourself. Not with right doctrine, not with right discipline, not with right devotion. You can't save yourself. You need Jesus and so do I. It wasn't the guy's money that got him into trouble. It was his self-sufficiency. The Bible has other rich folks. Abraham, very, very wealthy. He was called a friend of God. Job, very, very wealthy. He was blessed. Uh, David, Solomon, Solomon before he went off the deep end. They were wealthy. Lydia in the New Testament were wealthy. It isn't money. Money doesn't get you in. Money doesn't keep you out. The rich young ruler's issue was self-sufficiency. He thought he needed to do something. Where do I sign? What do I have to do, Jesus? He had all the resources at his disposal. God should be truly impressed with him. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. You need to be poor in spirit. Humble. This isn't the only place that Jesus talks about our need to be poor in spirit. In the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he describes... Uh, judgment day and in that description he says in in chapter 7 many will come to me on that day and say lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles lord we did some pretty impressive stuff for you just a word of advice on judgment day don't try to impress god with what you've done <laughs> that's you know the creator of the universe don't go to him, and after the great trumpet has sounded, don't go tooting your own little horn. You know, that's just not a good look at all, you know? You don't impress NASA with a paper airplane. You don't impress LeBron James with the way you can shoot a basketball. You don't impress God Almighty with your righteousness. In fact, in fact, Isaiah says, for all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel, shrivel up like a leaf, like a wind, and our sins sweep us away. The best, best, best we can offer is nothing but filthy rags. And so Jesus says to those who are tooting their own horn, I will tell them truly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What makes a person blessed is recognizing who we are in relation to God. It's recognizing who I am 
and who Jesus is and confessing the difference. And, and this is why it's so hard for good folks like you and me. You're in church on a beautiful Sunday in July. You know, you're good folks. You're not at the beach someplace. You're not, you know, whatever. you're in church. You're good folks. That's why this is so hard for us. See, when I've preached at, at, at jails or rescue missions or even at like, celebrate recovery type of services, I don't have to tell those folks that they've messed up in their life. They get that. They may need to know that they can be rescued. They may need to know that there's hope for them. They may need to know that God loves them. They may need to know that he'll leave the 99 and go after them. But I don't have to explain to them that they've messed up their life. And maybe it's because of drugs and alcohol, or maybe it's because of other choices, or maybe they haven't even accepted responsibility yet, but they understand that they've made a mess of their life. And usually they understand and they've tried. They can't get out of it all on their own. They figured that out. But folks like you and me, good folks, folks who come to church on a Sunday when it's beautiful outside, nice people like you and me, we haven't broken any major rules, we haven't killed anybody, we've played by the rules for the most part, we try to do the, the golden rule as best we can, the type of folks that, that would come to me when I've had these conversations with some folks that don't go to church who have said to me, Pastor, I'm as good as everybody down at your church, and you know what, they are. They're good people. There's a lot of good people that don't know Jesus. But what they're not, what's needed, is being poor in spirit. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom, the poor in spirit. The folks that recognize that they need Jesus. Recognize that they don't have everything together. Recognize that they can't handle things all on their own. Recognize that they are weak. Recognize that they fall a lot. Recognize that sometimes they do things even when they promised that they'd never do that again. Recognize that often they're their own worst enemy. Recognize that they're the poor in spirit. It's the ones who instead of thinking that God should be impressed by their behavior are the ones that say, say, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. It's the ones like the prodigal son who when he finally comes to his senses says, I'm going to go home and I'm going to see my dad and I'm going to say, I, I can't be your son anymore. Just let me be a servant. That's the poor in spirit. Not because they've earned it, not because they deserve it, but they recognize where they are, where Jesus is, confess the difference and saying, Lord, I've messed up. I need you. I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. Just let me be a servant. And what those poor in, in spirit hear, according to Jesus, is what the Father said. Are you kidding me? My lost son has come home. We're going to party. Kill the fatted calf. It's party time. You get the keys to the kingdom. It's the woman that we talked about a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 7. You remember her. She went in to Jesus when Jesus was at a party. She busted into the party. She was crying on his feet. She was wiping his feet with her hair. She was bust open the alabaster jar. And Simon, whose house it was, Simon the Pharisee, Simon, one of those good guys, Simon, one of those guys that thought they had it all together, and because they kept the rules, they were in good shape. Simon crossed his arms and said, <laughs> if Jesus knew what kind of woman she was... He wouldn't let her touch him with a 10-foot pole. And Jesus, in so many words, says, Simon, she knows where she's been, and she knows where she is. 
She knows who she was, and she knows what I've done for. And that's why she's behaving the way she's behaving. She knows she needed me. Poor in spirit. So let me ask you, how are you doing? Do, do you think that Jesus should be impressed by you, or are, will you honestly, the poor in spirit, are those who can honestly and truthfully do a self-inspection and come to the conclusion, I need Jesus. I've tried on my own, and I've messed up, and I need Jesus. I've tried to do things right. I've tried to make promises. I've made New Year's resolutions, but I've messed up. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Is there anybody here who would say that today? Who would, who would recognize, who would be courageous, who would be honest, who would look at their life and say, I, I need the Lord. And we're going to receive communion in a minute. And, and we'll sing a song when we're passing out the elements. But I'd like to do something. I don't think I've ever done this here. And maybe, maybe I'll never do it again. But I think what I'd like for us to do, I want to pray for those that would recognize that they're the poor in spirit. I want to pray for those who would recognize that you need Jesus. You've tried it on your own. It hasn't worked. And you need Jesus. And we're not going to sing a song. I'm not going to have you come down to the altar. I think what I'd like to do is just have you right where you're at. Is there anybody that would say, I need Jesus so much that I'm willing to stand up and just stand while the pastor prays? Anybody like that at all? Say, I need Jesus. More than any, I've tried it on my own, and I need Jesus. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to call out your name. I'm not going to do anything else. Anybody else? A lot of folks are standing. You brave enough? Poor in spirit enough? Desperate enough? Worn out enough? Tired enough? Lord, you see all of us who are standing. Who recognize that on our own, we've made a mess of things. On our own, we end up like the prodigal son in the pig heap. On our own, even, even when we're like the rich young ruler, even when we've got the world on a string, even when we look good and look nice and look blessed, on our own, we're a mess. And the reality is, we need you. We need you to work on our lives. Some of us need you to come into our life. We've never accepted you as Lord and Savior. And your word is that if we call on your name, that you are faithful and just, and you'll come in right now. And today can be a new day. And today can be a first day that we are walking with you. And the Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices at that day. Today can be the day when we are gripped by your arms and we are accepted by your love. And we, we know that we're yours forever. Others of us, we made that commitment to you a while ago, but we still need you. 
We need you with, uh, with the temptations we face. We need you in work situations. We need you in our home situations. We need you. We need you, Lord. We need you every hour. We need you. And so, Lord, for those of us who are in spirit, we come before you and say, Lord, just do a work in us and come and do us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to receive communion. If you're going to help us with communion, come on down. If this is your first Sunday at Central Church, you are welcome.